the righteousness through faith. But now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that come by Jesus Christ. God presented him as sacrifice of atonement. Through faith in his blood, he did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand and unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time, so as to be just and, and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? Is it excluded? On what principle? On that of observing the law? No, but on that of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Is God the God of Jews only? Is he not God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by his faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much, Liesl, for that reading. Morning, everyone. Now, as Mike said, we are continuing this series on freedom, and this is one of my favorite topics, so it's a real pleasure to speak about it. And today, I really want to focus on God's grace and his love for us. And so I was really encouraged by hearing those words we had this morning that just tie in so fantastically with freedom, don't they? So um, that's exciting. But as we get going, um, I've got a question for you. I've actually got some slides. I've got, I've got a slideshow. Are you impressed? Yeah, here, here let's have the first one. Woohoo! That's me in my imagination. Um, <laughs> I don't think I could jump like that anymore. Freedom from rules and regulations. Um, but before we sort of launch into that, I want to ask you a question. Who here remembers Pac-Man? Like proper 1980s Pac-Man, not Pixel or whatever that new thing is. Proper Pac-Man like this. Next slide. Oh, yes. This was one of my obsessions growing up, Pac-Man. The box was about this big, and it used to take my dad about three hours to link it in with our TV. He would be harumphing under the TV with wires for hours and hours. Um, but when it was set up, you know, you had the joystick. Do you all remember the joystick, which was like, <laughs> I used to get blisters all down my hand, but I loved it. But the thing about Pac-Man in our house is that I wasn't just allowed to play Pac-Man. Oh, no. It came with conditions. When you have tidied your room, when you've tidied your sister's room, when you've laid the table, when you've cleared the table, when you've uh, minded the baby for a bit, when you've whatever, whatever, there were always conditions around Pac-Man before I was allowed to play. And I tell you that because so much in our sort of human condition is, is conditional, isn't it? We can only do something if we meet a particular condition. 
Now that could be passing an exam, or it could be meeting a target at work in order to get that pay rise that we want. I don't know about you, but these can feel a bit like those concrete slabs that Lizzie was talking about that sit on our heads. And this passage in Romans 3 is about conditions. And conditions don't just apply to our relationships with each other, do they? You know, most of the world religions have um, conditions attached. We can only sort of connect with God, however we may perceive him in different religions, if we meet particular rules and regulations. And I think sometimes we in the church can see God like this. So next slide. A bit of an angry headmaster who has set out rules and regulations that we have to meet in order to be acceptable to him. I do remember um, a friend of mine, after she came to faith, saying, okay, Bex, so um, I've become a, a Christian, I've come to faith. What is it exactly I'm not allowed to do anymore? So this morning, I want to talk about freedom. If we really want to be free from those rules and regulations, if we want to be free as people and as a church, I've got three suggestions for how, um, that might help us sort of get there. The first suggestion is this. Next slide, please, Fran. If we really want to be free, we need to avoid legalism. What is legalism? Well, it's the belief that rules are what make us acceptable to God. Now, of course, in the Old Testament, God did give his people laws and rules which they were to obey if he was going to keep his side of the covenant. However, it's clear from the Bible that we no longer live under these terms of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, do we? Hence, in verse 21 from that passage, But now, a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. So what the Apostle Paul is saying is it is now possible to be righteous before God without following the Old Testament law. And righteousness, as we know, is a theological term. And uh, it comes from the Hebrew word sedek, which doesn't just mean the commonly understood meaning of righteousness, of justice and virtue, but actually right standing and consequent right behavior within community. So here, righteousness means we have right standing before God. In his eyes, our behavior is right before him, apart from the law. And we know, don't we, that with the, um, the coming of Jesus, that the old covenant came to an end, and the era of the new covenant and the New Testament dawned. This is what made the new righteousness possible, and this is what we still live in today. Okay, um, I once went for a job interview in the city. I was going for an office job, and it was in a big trading firm. I had a friend working there, and he said to me, Okay, Bex, if you come in for this interview, he said, you have got to look the part because they take every single person who might work in this company, regardless of whether it's in the kitchen or wherever, they take them through the trading floor. This is the trading floor. And it's brutal. So um, that set me up nicely for the interview. I was like, <laughs> I agonized over like, Skirt suit, trouser suit, because it was all about suits when I was going for this interview. I agonized over um, what shade lipstick to wear, over how to do my hair. You know, I spent ages getting ready. I was absolutely terrified. Now, I, don't, I think we can actually approach 
God like that at times. We feel like we have to do all this preparation. We have to get our game face on in order to be able to approach him and to be acceptable to him. But Christianity says, no matter how hard we try to become acceptable to God by obedience to every rule, every regulation, all kinds of behaviors, this will never make us acceptable to him. Why is that? Because human nature is so fallen. None of us is perfect. Got another slide for this one. None of us is perfect. Verse 23 says, all have fallen short of the glory of God. Now, I don't know how you feel about this concept that no one's perfect. Um, I was talking to a dad at football the other day. Um, I was watching Jack play, and he said, he goes, your job must be a bit of a nightmare because church is just full of people who just really just haven't got it together. And I was thinking, yes, that's true. Do you have it all together? <laughs> I have no, I, no problem with this concept that all of us, whether inside the church, whether um, people who don't know God yet, none of us is perfect. I am so aware of my own brokenness, my own strengths, my own weaknesses. We are all a crazy mix, aren't we? So to me, there's no question that none of us is perfect. So living under the terms of the New Testament, the New Covenant, how do we make ourselves acceptable to God if, as Paul says, it's not through rules and regulations? Well, we find the shocking answer in verse 22. The righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So what Paul is saying is if you want to be right with God, if you want to be acceptable to him, the only thing you need is faith in Jesus Christ. No rules, no regulations, no rigorous spiritual disciplines, no deeply holy behavior, no hours spent in prayer. If you want to be acceptable to God today, all we have to do is have faith in Jesus Christ. You see, God loves us so much and he is so generous he can't bear that separation that existed between us. So he sent Jesus to rescue us. And we know that his rescue plan for humanity was massively costly to him because it cost him the life of his beloved son, Jesus, his only son, Jesus. And it's faith in his son that makes us acceptable. I love this truth. I don't know about you, but again, coming back to that picture we had this morning of the concrete slabs, I often feel like I'm walking around with a concrete slab on my head. But actually, when I remind myself of this truth, it's like I can breathe. I'm in a wide open space. All the pressure's gone. You know, he's done it. He's done it all. And all I have to do is actually respond. And that's like that, um, the same um, sort of idea as the, the scissors that Toby was talking about, isn't it? That we've been cut free. It is so freeing. But we love our rules in the church, don't we? I've got another slide here. We do love our rules. William Manchester um, recorded some of the so-called diversions to the faith, forbidden by Calvin in the 16th century, as follows. This is his little, little list. Feasting, dancing, singing, pictures, statues, songs, staging or attending theatrical plays, rouge, no lipstick then, Bex, 
jewelry or immodest dress, and my personal favorite, naming children after anyone but figures in the Old Testament. <laughs> Hello, this is my son Shadrach. <laughs> Now, of course, this is funny, but legalism has a sneaky way of getting back into church, doesn't it? In through the back door. I don't know if you've come across churches that have those sort of legalistic streaks. I certainly know of churches that have rules around how much money you give, what you wear, what commitments you have to make if you're part of the church, the things you have to be involved in, how you behave, and so on. And the implication is that if we don't do those things, that we're not somehow not welcome in those places. And worse than that, we're bad Christians. And worse even than that, we're not acceptable to God if we don't do them. And that is a lie. It's complete rubbish. This is something which makes my blood boil. I cannot bear legalism. I hate it because it's the antithesis to grace. It's the antithesis of, of grace. Remember, it is just our faith in Jesus, that's it. That's what makes us acceptable. You know, it's no wonder that so many people who don't sort of come to church regularly just don't want to come to church regularly, if that's the reaction they're gonna get. If people have faith in Jesus, they are acceptable to God, full stop. I really would love us all to get that this morning. At this point, I think it's worth saying that whilst legalism is bad, the law is actually not. Jesus actually came to fulfill the law. Hear the words from Matthew 5:17. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So that's my first point. If we want to stay free, we need to avoid legalism and remember that acceptance um, is from God is, is key through faith. So I've said that the wrong way around, haven't I? Faith is the key to acceptance by God. So my second suggestion, if we want to stay free, is um, on the slide, the next one. We need to avoid thinking it's all about performance. Verse 24 says, all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And verse 28, for we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Now, I don't know about you, but I feel quite a pressure to sort of um, be perfect, to be the perfect mum, to be the perfect wife, to have the perfect home, to be perfectly tidy, to be the perfect cook, to work perfectly with my colleagues, to um, socialize perfectly with my friends. Now, the reality is <laughs> a whole lot different. I usually feel a little bit out of control and often totally out of control. I don't know if that resonates with anyone. I disappoint people, I forget birthdays, I miss school meetings, I lose school slips all the time. I respond to emails six months late, I'm so sorry if that's you here, I'm sure it's happened. I lose my phone, I lose my children, <laughs> I, <laughs> I have lost my children. Um, and yet again, I haven't baked for another cake sale at school that I didn't even know was happening. <laughs> In fact, this morning, here's, here's one for you from this morning, um, I 
left the house with Fred. So one of our lifts fell through for rugby. That was fine. We kind of sorted that. I got, got to church, um, sat down at my desk to quickly finish something off, and suddenly Jack appears. Now, Jack's supposed to be at home, and he's barefoot. And he goes, Mum, you walked out of the house, you set the alarm, and you locked me in. <laughs> I was like, I went... Oh, so, well, I'm really sorry. <laughs> and he went, yeah, the alarm's still going, and I had to climb out of the window, and I've got bare feet. <laughs> I have got it together. <laughs> now, I don't know if any of you feel like this, but I think we can feel like this in our Christian lives, can't we? That, you know, yep, we have faith. Brilliant. We're in. But are we praying enough? Are we reading the Bible enough? Are we leading a life group? Are we evangelizing enough? Are we talking to people about our faith enough? Are we mentoring others? Are we meditating? Are we fasting? You know, there's a whole range of things. And I think we can quickly lose our joy as Christians if we are just trying to keep all these plates spinning all the time. And then we end up feeling guilty or like a failed Christian when they come tumbling down. Let's be clear, though. Performance is important, and all those things I've just listed in the Christian life are fantastic in and of themselves, but they do not make us acceptable to God. It's only the death of Jesus on the cross and faith in him that make us acceptable. And one of the weird things that happens when we make things, when we make our spiritual lives all about performance, is that it actually becomes all about us. I don't know if you recognize that. What I mean by that is, if, if we feel like we're a bit rubbish in our Christian life, I don't know about you, but um, I rarely feel like I'm, I'm, I'm doing what I should be doing, what I ought to be doing, and I feel I should be doing. But actually, what I'm doing there is making it all about me and what I'm doing, and not about God. Mike spoke in the um, first talk on freedom about spiritual amnesia, didn't he? And in my mind, that's how we... Um, we can forget as Christians who God is. We forget what God's done. And we forget who we are because of what he's done. And instead, we can find ourselves living in a cycle of grief, working for acceptance. So I've got a little slide here. I don't know whether you can read this. It's very tiny writing. So number one is up in the top left corner, and it says achievement and activity through to number two, identity, number three, drivenness, and four, acceptance. Now, I came across this um, diagram, this idea, doing a Growing Leaders course recently, and I found it really, really helpful. So what this is saying is this is how we can sort of live in our lives. We can live sort of working towards acceptance. So firstly, we achieve to provide ourselves with an identity. You know, we feel good if we feel we're doing something. Our identity, our sense of significance is dependent on what we achieve. So we push on and we do more. This leads us to drivenness. And again, we're driven to achieve more, to make ourselves more acceptable to others, but also to ourselves. And then lastly, this leads us to acceptance. But the sense of acceptance is temporary and fragile, so we go round the cycle again. Does anyone sort of relate to that? Oh yeah, lots of nodding. <laughs> I certainly did when I heard it. And the thing about the cycle of grief 
because it's performance-based, is that it's all about us. It focuses on us. I know this is uh, conceptual, but I absolutely hate it. And I hate it because I find myself slipping into it time and time again. And the reality of living in this cycle is that it's toxic and it's destructive. Our drive can damage those closest to us. Any personal criticism we might get totally rocks our sense of worth, and we cannot separate who we are from what we do. And the most devastating living in the thing that this living in the cycle of grief actually does is robs us of our identity as children of God. It erodes our confidence in our position as children of God. So how can we be free from this? How can we be free from this cycle of grief? Well, we need to avoid thinking that it's all about performance and live out instead of a cycle of grace. So here's the next slide. So in the cycle of grace, we're starting top right this time. We start with acceptance. We move through sustenance into identity and finally fruitfulness. So acceptance. This is what Rona was speaking about this morning. No one is overlooked and no one is looked over. We are fully accepted by God's unconditional grace. If we think back to Jesus' baptism, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. That's the first thing, acceptance. Sustenance, this means that our resources are constantly renewed through dependence on God. And this is where we need to get over our spiritual amnesia and remind ourselves of who God is. He is a good, good father. We heard that this morning in the prayers. He's a kind, loving, and available father. He's our comforter, our encourager, our king of kings. He's the passionate lover of our souls. He's the healer and transformer. And he's powerful and mighty. And we need to remind ourselves at this point too, in number two, of what he's done. He's actually, actually done all he can to restore intimacy with us through Jesus' death on the cross. And when we get those things into our head, our identity is so secure. Our sense of significance is rooted in those things. And at this point, we need to um, attack that spiritual amnesia again and remind ourselves of who we are because of what he's done. And the truth of, the, of that is we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. Humans are the pinnacle of God's creation. We are unique individuals who he loves and cherishes. We are his beloved children. We are holy and acceptable. And then out of that, we can be fruitful. This is the achievement bit. And that comes out of loving and um, obedience, loving obedience that's where the ministry comes out. That's where the fruitfulness comes out. That's where the achievement comes out. And what I love about this is that if we are assured of his acceptance before we actually do anything, then we can go on to do his will without that terrible pressure of worrying about whether we're going to do it adequately or not. And I think that leads us to becoming more joyful and more effective in everything we do. So where the, grief, the cycle of grief puts the focus on us, the cycle of grace puts the focus on God. Do you like that this morning? Is that helpful? It's good, isn't it? 
So verse 24 says, we are justified freely by his grace. And 28, we are justified by faith. So I've got um, a slide for justification. Justification is another theological term, as we know, which originates from the slave trade. And it's a legal term given to the ransom paid to free slaves. It's a really powerful image. And what it means theologically is that Jesus, who lived a life of perfect righteousness, died to pay the penalty or ransom for our wrongdoing in order that we might live in the freedom of right relationship with God as his beloved children. This is the heart of the gospel. There's nothing we can do to make God love us more. And there's nothing we can do to make God love us less. That's my favorite definition of grace. And that is the cycle of grace. And and at this point, I think it's worth making it really clear that faith is not just another kind of work or performance, but a simple and open-hearted attitude to God, which takes him at his word and gratefully accepts his grace. So I've got a question for you. I've got a question for me this morning, for all of us. Which cycle are you in today? I've got another slide. Here we go. Are you in the cycle of grief? Am I in the cycle of grief? Are you in the cycle of grace? I don't know about you, but for me, this is actually a daily battle. Partly because we live in a culture of disgrace. What do I mean by that? Well, acceptance comes from what we look like, what clothes we wear, how many followers we have on Instagram, how much money we earn, our status through our job, who we know, and so on. And partly... We don't just live in a culture of disgrace, but I put myself in disgrace. I don't know about you. I have quite a harsh inner critic, and I have high expectations of myself, which point me towards performance and earning acceptance instead of starting with acceptance and working out of it. So if you're feeling um, more sort of in the cycle of grief instead of the cycle of grace, what can we do? to sort of move ourselves out of that. Well, um, I've got some practical things that I do that I thought may be helpful to share. So um, one thing I do, I've got a box at home which I keep little sort of encouraging words and verses that people give me. It's just like a box of scraps of paper. In my mind, it's in a beautiful scrapbook with lovely annotated notes, but it's not. It's like a scrappy box with bits of paper in, which I will rootle through and read them. But they really encourage me and they really speak to me. I think reading the Psalms is fantastic because they cover every life experience, no matter what we're feeling. Going back to those reminds us um, of who God is, as does reading a gospel. I think going back to Jesus, reading the stories of Jesus and what he's done can, um, just reminds us to take the focus away from ourselves and back to him. Get someone to pray with you is another obvious one. Just tell someone. And that comes into um, something really key for me is having good friends I can be really accountable to and who I have given permission to to ask me those difficult questions when I'm slipping into that cycle of grief. Um, doing something for someone else is good for just sort of getting ourselves out of it. Um, I think taking opportunities that come your way, and I would love to at this point just mention one opportunity 
coming the way of the ladies in the church. Monday the 23rd of May, we have Beloved coming up. It's going to be a great night. We've got a, a lovely speaker coming in called Annie Hughes. Um, Annie and her husband led churches for many years. She was also involved um, working as a chaplain in a GP surgery. And she's got some fantastic... Um, What's the right word? She's got really amazing passions around seeing people healed um, from her experiences there, which is fantastic. She's also um, uh, a kindred spirit for me. She's a mum of three boys. Her boys are a bit older than mine. One of them's called Tim. Can you join up those dots? Tim Hughes, worship leader. Um, so she's kind of like someone to look up to for me. Like, wow, look, she's got three boys and they've ended up like completely fine so <laughs> and not only fine being a worship leader and so on anyway um so we'd love you to come along for that 7:30. and also what we've done this time is we've we've done beloved a couple of times in in some other churches around guildford we've actually invited them to come and join us here this time so we've got a few people coming along from uh um, Emmanuel Stoughton, St. John Stoke and Christchurch and possibly Emmaus Road as well. So that'll be really fun. So come along, support it, meet some new people, get stuck in. There's an opportunity. So let's embrace grace wholeheartedly in our own lives and as a church. Let's be gracious with ourselves and gracious with each other. And let's avoid our spirituality being all about performance, which is self-focused and has little to do with the gospel of Christ. So to be free, we need to avoid legalism and we need to stop thinking that it's all about performance. Thirdly and finally, if we want to be free, we need to follow God's teaching. Um, verse 31 says this, do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Now, um, I had a friend who went traveling after university, and she actually ended up in Asia spending time with a guru. It was all very sort of peace and love, and she ended up doing all sorts of things as a result of his teaching, including giving him rather a lot of her money, and uh, not being in contact with her parents for quite a while. I tell you this because the idea of following someone's teaching can sound seriously unappealing. I don't know how you feel about this. I don't really like being told what to do, if I'm being honest. But Jesus, who embodied God's teaching and who followed his father's teaching absolutely, was the most amazing person to be around. People flocked from miles just to be in his presence, didn't they? And he brought life and fun and transformation everywhere that he uh, went. And he knew how to throw a, good throw a good party. He was truly free. He is truly free. So because we're trying to avoid legalism and avoid making it all about performance, am I saying, let's not bother with the Bible? Let's not bother with praying? Anything goes as a church and anything goes in our spiritual lives. Not at all. Verse 31 again. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. But isn't this a contradiction? Isn't it all about rules again? Well, it's not, because what we're called to is to follow God's teaching. 
not because we're under the Old Testament law and the terms of the Old Covenant anymore. We are not. When we come to faith, we're filled with God's Spirit under the terms of the New Covenant. So following God's teaching doesn't mean an external code. But as it says in Jeremiah 31 verse 33, a new law that is written in our hearts. And that's the teaching of God. And we can uphold this law by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And if we follow his teaching, then we too will become increasingly free. So here's my freedom slide again. So, St. Saviour's, let's be a church who go for freedom. Let's be a people who go for freedom. Let's avoid being legalistic and thinking it's all about performance. Let's live in the cycle of grace that Jesus has won for us, knowing we are loved and accepted by God through faith. And let's extend grace to all who come here. And let's take up the challenge to be a church who follows the liberating teaching of God. Let's just go for freedom. Amen.